Amen, church. Amen. Let's give God praise. So good. You can be seated. You can be seated this morning. And I love that song that we, we bring what we have, even though it's not much, we bring it to him. And, and what he gives back and how he blesses us doesn't even compare with what we bring. And I pray that and trust that you were blessed by that this morning. So um, my name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. If we haven't met, if you're new or newer to Christ Church, or maybe you're joining us online, so good to be together this morning. And I love just being in God's presence with God's family and worshiping him. So grab your Bibles, go over to Acts chapter 9, Acts 9. And, and while you're doing that, put a marker in at Galatians 1. If you've been with us for the last few months, uh, you know that we are studying through the book of Acts. And today we find ourselves in chapter 9. And we've been breaking the book of Acts apart into different sub-series. And we are in a sub-series called Faithful, Answering the Call of God. And on each individual message in that sub-series, we've, we've focused on one certain thing. And today's message is this, faithful to persevere. Faithful to persevere. So Acts chapter 9, put a marker over at Galatians 1. And I spent some time this week, um, as Brian was out west in the Rockies skiing and having a great time while I was laboring in the Word and preparing, you know, <clears throat> I scoured the internet for the best definition of perseverance that I could find. And this is what I came up with. I hope this helps us understand. Perseverance is the courage to ignore the obvious wisdom of turning back. Now, I'm not being serious. I love it. Like, you see the brake lights there? Like, he's thinking about it. Like, oh, I don't know. Should I do it? You know? Perseverance. No, that's not what perseverance is. Perseverance is a continued effort to achieve, to do or to achieve something despite difficulties, failure, or opposition. And, uh, and as we walk and as we follow Jesus in this journey of discipleship, perseverance is a must. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to see that in the life of a man named Saul, um, who was later known as Paul. But perseverance is a, is a quality that we develop, that we need to develop as we go through the difficulties and the struggles of life. Like this last season, for many, I'm sure, has felt like you've had to persevere a long time through this season of COVID, whether it's at work or with family. It's like one thing after another, and there's just a perseverance that sets in if, if we're going to come out the other side. So the book of Acts is written by Luke. Luke is, um, what, is a contemporary of Paul, um, and he's, he's a historian and he's a doctor. And he's, he's accounting the history of the birth and the development and the expansion of the church. And so to bring us kind of up to speed, there's been a lot of things that have happened. The church um, has, has gone through a lot of persecution and suffered. There's a man named Saul that's been introduced to us, and he is uh, dead set on destroying the name of Christ and imprisoning and killing Christians. And Saul, last week, was um, the message in the beginning of chapter 9, was about how Saul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Maybe you remember, if you were here last week, Saul is, is living in Jerusalem, and he's done everything he can there to try to imprison and to kill off Christians. And now he's like, I'm going on the road because I hate the name of Christ so much I'm going to go to Damascus, and I'm going to go wherever I can, sent by the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the day. Now, Damascus is about 150 miles from Jerusalem. So picture this. You didn't have cars. You don't have bikes. You don't have airplanes. 150 miles either walking it or riding on a donkey or a camel, right? It's a long, grueling trip. If you were to walk from here to Traverse City, anybody driven to Traverse City? Like, walking to Traverse City, and then go another 20 miles that's about how far Saul had to travel on the road to Damascus. Why? Because he was bent on destroying the name of Christ. He was passionate. And so you remember the story. He has this encounter with Jesus. Jesus knocks him off his horse and blinds him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
Saul's kind of undone. He realizes that, that he's been resisting God and he goes into the city of Damascus and there's a man named Ananias there that God said, I want you to go pray for Saul. And Ananias goes and prays for Saul and he regains his sight. And over in Acts chapter nine, look back, we're gonna read today, we're gonna read verses 19 through 31, but look back at uh, verses 15 and 16 and this is gonna frame our message today. Acts chapter nine, verse 15, but the Lord said to him, that's Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for, my, for the sake of my name. Okay, that's Saul's calling. That's his purpose. That's what God said. I'm, I'm choosing him, and this is what his calling and his purpose is going to be. And we will see today the beginnings of his ministry, and it was a very long, hard, difficult road. Paul needed perseverance to accomplish God's calling just like we do. And if we're honest with ourselves, we tend to get tired and weary and even at times give up when things get hard. And God's called us to persevere through the difficulty. Here's the big idea if you're taking notes. You cannot fulfill God's calling in your life without perseverance. It's impossible. At some point in this journey, on this road, Things are going to be hard. They're going to be difficult. You're going to be tempted to throw in the towel, to want to give up. And in doing that, you would be falling short of the calling that God has on your life and on my life. You cannot fulfill the calling of God in your life without perseverance. When God doesn't do what we think he should do or when we think he should do it or how we, we think that he should do it, when he, doesn't, when he operates on his timetable, which often Times are much longer than ours, and the path is much different than what we would have imagined. Our job is to stay faithful, to stay diligent, to persevere, and to keep pressing through and trusting the process because he's at work in the process. And today, as we read through this passage, I'm going to point out to you a few things that will help build and encourage your endurance and your sense of perseverance. So let's pray as we approach God's word today. Father, we, we look at this. This is a, a historical account. These are things that actually happened. And the, the same God, you were at work in Saul's life, guiding and directing the circumstances and holding him. Lord, there's the same God, you, you are still active today in our lives, helping us to fulfill our calling. And, and I pray for just a great sense of encouragement and perseverance as we walk this path, Lord, in the calling to which you've called us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now over in Acts chapter 9, starting in the second half of 19, we're going to start here today. So it says this, for some days he was with the disciples in Damascus. For some days, okay? Flip over to Galatians 1, and you'll see Paul's account of this. This is where Paul gives a little bit more of a detailed account. He spends the, the first part of chapter 1 talking about his conversion and what happened to him. And then over in Galatians 1.15, we see Paul describe this series of events that we're reading here in Acts chapter 9. Galatians 1.15 says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult anyone. What's he talking about? He's talking about the road to Damascus and what, how Jesus saved him on the road to Damascus. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to anyone, anyone who were the apostles before me, 
but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Look at verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him for 15 days. So here, what, what Luke says in the book of Acts is that he was in Damascus. What Paul says was it was a three-year period that he was in Damascus and Arabia. Not sure how long in each place, but it was three years before he ever went up to Jerusalem to meet the apostles. Now, Damascus, again, was the city that he was on the way to eradicate Christianity, and that's where he gets saved, and now he spends the first three years between Damascus and Arabia, and it was a necessary period. He probably was rethinking everything that he'd been taught, everything that he'd believed about Jesus, everything that he thought that he knew, and those, those three years were completely necessary, uh, and as we'll see, it's, it's an even longer period of time that God has Saul in preparation. So let's go back to verse 20 here. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? So they're like, well, hold on a second. This is like a complete 180. He came here to destroy the name of Jesus. Now he's preaching it and proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. It's, it's interesting to me that it says immediately he proclaimed it. You know, something happens in your life when you, when you encounter Jesus, when you become fully convinced that he is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Savior. You can't help but try to convince other people. You see that clearly here. Saul's like, I, I've encountered Jesus and I have to tell everyone about it. And this, this long, painful road that he's on, that he endures, that he perseveres, it seems like that through his, his life and ministry that he was okay with suffering for the name of Jesus because he himself had caused so much suffering for that name. It was almost like he was, he was okay, like this is, this is like what's do me. You see that in, in other writings. Now, how did he have such a, a, an incredible 180? How did that happen? Well, let's just zoom back. Paul had heard Stephen and give his speech and all of his wisdom that God had given Stephen. He wasn't persuaded by that. In fact, he, he consented to Stephen's stoning and his, his martyrdom. It wasn't the power of God. I mean, he was there and saw the, the miracles and the things that God was doing through the, the apostles in the early church, and he wasn't convinced by either one of those things. It wasn't the wisdom of God. It wasn't the power of God. What changed him? Well, it's the same thing that changes us from the inside. It was a personal encounter with the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. It goes way beyond just beliefs and thoughts and ideas. It goes to a, to a, a deep-seated conviction of a belief. It wasn't apologetic proof. It wasn't God's miraculous power. It was this personal encounter. I remember some of my early days, and perhaps you do too, those early days when you encountered Jesus and how he changed you, he revealed himself to you. If you haven't had that encounter, pray, ask God for that. Ask him to reveal Jesus to you. When it happens, you will, you'll be convinced. You'll be fully persuaded. So verse 22, we see, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. He gained influence. He gained stature, notoriety by the power of the Spirit. He confounded these Jews. It means that he left them baffled and confused. They were left speechless. Now you'd think that they would be like, okay, thanks so much for convincing us. We've been waiting for the Messiah. We've been hoping, and, and you've explained it, and we believe, right? We, we would think that they would be thankful 
that Saul is preaching this and they're not. Look at what it says in verse 23. When many days had passed, that's where we start to see the many days is that time between Damascus and Arabia. He was there for a long time. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Many days had passed. They were, they were plotting to kill him. Now, now the persecutor has become the persecuted. And the same sort of intensity, the same sort of passion to kill and to destroy now is being aimed at him. They're watching day and night. Now cities in those days had, had fortified walls. They had these big, thick, tall walls around the city and it was a defense measure. So that if a country came to invade, they had a, they had a protective measure, these walls. And the only way to get in or out was through the gates. So they have these guys stationed at the gates and they're watching intently, waiting for Saul, because when they see him, they're like, we know that he's in here and when he tries to get out, then we're gonna kill him. And so secretly his disciples let him down through the wall in a basket that was probably designed for throwing your trash out. (laughs) And, And they let him down the wall and he escapes in the night and he heads right for Jerusalem, which is what he describes in Galatians 1 that after those three years, he went to Jerusalem. Now, how did this plot become known? One of the things I'd like to point out, and I would encourage you, even in the weeks to come, for Saul, for the rest of the apostles, you see God's sovereign hand of protection on these guys. In his sovereignty, God said, this is not your place to die. The plot became known. What was supposed to be secret got exposed, and Saul became aware of it, and he escapes now to Jerusalem. So this is the first bit of of, uh, resistance and hostility that we see, and and Saul just, he he perseveres through it. He heads for Jerusalem. Now let's pick it up in verse 26. When he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe he was a disciple. Uh, Yeah, right? It's been three years. But they haven't forgot what happened to Stephen. They haven't forgot his, his reputation, and what he's done, they probably were, were thinking, this is just a trick to lure us in so that you can capture us. They were very suspicious. And if I'm really honest, and maybe you are too, I probably would have felt the same way. I'd have been like, I don't know, right? Like whenever somebody of, of notoriety and fame gets, gets saved or supposedly saved, our, our natural inclination is to kind of doubt it, right? Like I'm still kind of wondering if Kanye is actually really saved, right? Is Justin Bieber, is he legit? Is he like truly saved, you know? But that's our, that's our reaction, kind of like these guys, like, I don't know. And they, they just didn't believe that he actually was authentically a disciple of Christ. So at this point, Saul's got no home. He's wanted, he, they want to kill him in Damascus. He comes back to Jerusalem hoping to be accepted by the Jews, and they're all, they're all afraid of him. The church is afraid of him. And so he's got no home, he's got no people, the Sanhedrin at this point, like, they, they sent him. They were, he was like their guy, like their great hope. Like, this Saul, he's going to be the one who finally rids the world of this name of Jesus, right? And he comes back three years later preaching the name of Jesus. I'm sure they were exasperated at that point. But the church doesn't want him, and the Sanhedrin doesn't want him, and he's, he can't go back to Damascus, and so he's, he's rejected, and he's feeling very, very alone, now, this, this can hit home for us because there's times in this journey, there's times in this walk of faith 
as we persevere in following Jesus, you will find yourself in, in times and places when you feel very alone. But you're not alone, obviously. God is with you, and he's gonna make a way where there seems to be no way. So here, look at here, verse 27, here comes the hope, here comes the way, but Barnabas, you guys remember Barnabas? Barnabas was first mentioned back in chapter four, and he had sold all of his land and brought all the proceeds to the apostles, and, and they distributed it so that everyone's needs were taken care of. Now Barnabas, if you remember, his name is not actually Barnabas. His name is Joseph, right? But the, but the apostles nicknamed him Barnabas because the name Barnabas means son of encouragement. Remember that, son of encouragement. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas is a key player. Nobody else believes Saul at this point. No, nobody believes that he's, nobody wants anything to do with him, and there's this one guy, Barnabas, who's like, no, you guys, listen, he's legit. He's preaching in the name of Jesus, and they would be like, oh, there are a lot of people that can just preach in the name of Jesus. He's like, no, but he's also suffering persecution and hardship. He's suffering for the name of Jesus. He's like, he's real, it's legit. You see, you don't suffer hardship and persecution for something you don't believe. In fact, it's the difficulty, it's the adversity, it's the suffering that tests what you really, truly do believe. So Barnabas, among everybody, is the one guy who's like, no, God's working here. This is authentic. The son of encouragement, that word encouragement is the word paraclesis. And it means to be called along someone's side, to support, to walk alongside, to encourage. And that's who Barnabas is. Despite Saul's past, and despite all that he had done, he could see what God was doing. He believed the best when no one else did. Now I want to pause here. I want you just to, just to think deeply. Because Barnabas had the gift of encouragement. One of the spiritual gifts. So much so that they called him the son of encouragement. God brings people into our lives. He'll bring people into your life. He's brought, after, after the first service, I, I stopped and I talked with, um, with Charlie Barnes. He's one of our elders in the back. And I thought, oh my gosh, Charlie Barnes and his wife, Gisela, have been like Barnabas for me so many times along my journey. I mean, we've known each other for 15-ish, almost 20 years now. And just time after time after time, Charlie and his wife, Gisela, have been there to encourage us at very key moments when we felt like just giving up. And it makes me think, though, but God's so good at doing that. You know, he provides that Barnabas in your life. He provides that person that encourages you when you need it most. Now, to have a gift of encouragement, you're, you're tender to people. You're, you're in tune with how they're feeling. You're like, you're aware if somebody really feels discouraged or down in the dumps. And, and you're right there, like, to, as God's mouthpiece, as his instrument to bring encouragement. So put your fist up in the air if you have a gift of encouragement. Any encouragers in the place today? I see a few. That's a few. You guys, are, this, that gift is so valuable. If Barnabas hadn't have been there at that right moment using his gift of encouragement, who knows if Saul would have been accepted. And then all that, that his ministry entailed that even reaches to us in this room today. Barnabas and Saul grew such a close relationship that later on, um, Barnabas would be Saul's companion on his first missionary journey. Okay, so how, how, does, this, how does this help us build perseverance? What do we do? What do we do? Well, here's the first thing. Number one, in your notes, this is the first thing we need to do actively to build perseverance. 
Number one, count on God to provide. When you know that ultimately he is your source of provision and he's gonna provide everything you need at the right times so that you'll fulfill his purpose and his calling, it produces a sense of perseverance. You might be feeling like, man, I'm just done. I'm, I'm ready to give up. I don't see any hope. But, but if, you, if you pause and you listen and you look, you'll see that there is hope and that he's provided everything you need. God provides protection. Look what he provides for Saul. Protection. The plots to kill him were made known. We saw one back in Damascus. There's gonna be another one here in a few verses that his life is on the line again and God reveals these plots to kill Saul. So he provides protection. He provides people. He provided Ananias, right? Ananias, I want you to go pray for Saul. I don't know if I wanna do that. No, just go pray for him, he's mine. He provides Barnabas back in Jerusalem. So he provides protection, he provides people, he provides power. This story stands out to me in such an amazing way because Saul is the guy who you'd think like, that guy's never going to accept Jesus. His life is, is hell-bent on destroying the name of Jesus. Now, who's that person in your life, maybe that you work with, maybe a family member, a close friend that you're like, that person like, will never accept Christ. No, God has the power to change that person completely. Look what he did with Saul. Why don't we, instead of, of doubting what God can do, be praying that God would do that and then watch God do the miraculous? So he provides protection, he provides people, he provides power, and he also provides purpose. Everything that happened to Saul was, was by design to get him to the place of his ultimate calling. So he did a lot of things. He was in Jerusalem. What did God say? Your calling is that you're gonna bring my name before the children of Israel, before kings, and before the Gentiles. And God fulfilled all of those things. Everything that happened, even the rejection, even the hostility, even the persecution, only served to propel him into that ultimate call. I love that God, back to Barnabas, I love that God just puts people of encouragement. Now you might be that person for someone else, or you might be that person who, who receives the encouragement from somebody else. You might be God's provision for someone, or somebody else might be God's provision for you, but here's the thing that, that builds perseverance, is this, we can count on God to provide. Provide all that we need. Look at verse 28. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. Now, if you remember from a few weeks ago, or if you've been around, as we've talked through the book of Acts, the Hellenists are, are the Greek-speaking Gentiles. Hellenism was a culture that was, was started and formed after Alexander the Great conquered the region. Hellenism was the culture that followed. And, and, and um, Paul, Saul takes up this, this ministry of disputing and trying to convince the Hellenists. Ironic, that was exactly what Stephen was doing a few chapters earlier. He picks up Stephen's ministry right where Stephen le left off. He was the guy that a few chapters ago was consenting to Stephen's death. He's now the guy that's standing up in his place carrying on that ministry of preaching the gospel to the Greek world, to the Hellenists. So we saw back in verse 22 that when he was preaching to the Jews in Damascus that he confounded them, he baffled them. Now here we see the same thing is, is gonna happen as he's preaching to the Hellenists. He's disputing with the Hellenists. Now what does this verse show us? This verse shows us something that we all know to be very, very true. It's not a matter of information or evidence or 
proofs or reason or just being logically piecing things together. That's not what makes somebody believe. People cannot believe until their heart is changed. Belief is not merely a matter of facts and evidence. It's mostly a matter of the will. So Saul is, is preaching and teaching with just irrefutable evidences. R- reasonable, rational, piecing it together, and they still don't believe. They still reject it. Why is that? Because their hearts are hard. And we know this in our world. There's people that, that in this world that believe very different than those of us who would in the church around, around who is God? Does God even exist? How did the world come into be? And how, how was everything created? And it's not that we're looking at a different set of evidence. It's not like the Christians are over here going, we're looking at all these different evidences and proofs, and that's why we're at different conclusions. Everybody's looking at the same evidence in the box, right? But yet coming to very, very different conclusions. The difference is the heart, because it's through the heart that you filter at what you actually believe. That's why God has to change the heart of stone, remove the heart of stone, and replace it with a soft heart so that a person can actually believe. So he finds himself in these these disputes and these arguments, and they're rejecting the truth. But I have to ask the question, are we really that much different? Oftentimes, the truth in our lives is something that's sharp and we don't want because the truth convicts us of sin. The truth indicts us of unrighteousness. And we're guilty, so what do we do? We blame others, we justify things, we hide, we lie, and then we make up something over here. Well, this is what we believe, because you can't just believe nothing. We all have to believe something. So we believe this to be true, when in in reality, it's very, very false. That is what a hardened, sinful heart does. A tender heart loves truth, looks for truth, wants truth. So here's the second thing, the second takeaway for building perseverance and endurance is this, engage the conversation. Don't run from the conversation, don't hide from it, but engage the conversation. It's actually exhausting living in this world and feeling like you're constantly trying to avoid all of the the kind of craziness around us. But engaging the conversation takes hard work. It takes diligence. It takes intentionality. It takes understanding the basis of other people's deeply held beliefs, like what do they really believe in their heart? What what constitutes their worldview? What are their values? What is their culture? If If we seek to really understand why someone believes what they do, then we can speak the gospel to the heart. But if we, if we're avoiding and dodging the conversation, we'll never get there. We, we're called to engage. Look at what Saul's doing, and you see this everywhere he goes. He's engaging the conversation. He's not ignorant to what they're thinking and what they're believing. He, he knows exactly what it is. You know, I find in my life, maybe you find this to be true as well, that if I'm ignorant of a subject, it makes me afraid to engage, right? If I don't know what I'm talking about, I'm just going to avoid. We can't be ignorant of the issues of the world around us. We can't just live in echo chambers of everybody just agreeing with everything we say. We never grow when we do that. But out of love and out of a desire for truth and the gospel to spread, we, we do like what Saul did is we, we engage in conversation. He wasn't afraid, but he was, pre- he was pre- presenting rational truth, apologetic truth, that, the, that Jesus was the Messiah, probably from prophecy in the Old Testament. 
Now, throughout Scripture, you see this, this pattern. It would say that the Jews, if, if you want to convince the Jews that something is real or something is true, you've got you've to do it by supernatural, miraculous things. Like the Jews seek a sign, like show me by supernatural signs, while the Greeks, the Gentiles, were like, I need you to convince me. I need to see it through wisdom. They were very heady, very intellectual. It was like, it was like their culture was very much about education and academia, and you can see the, the Greek culture formed by people like Plato and Aristotle, very intellectual. Greek culture was also had a high importance on athletics and sports and competition. It kind of sounds like our country, right? Because our country was very much influenced by the Greek world. So that's the, that's the, the world that Saul's living in, and he's engaging in these debates. He's not, he's not ignorant to them. So when they realized that they could not defeat him in debate. Pick it up here at the end of verse 29. He spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. Oh, here we are again. Saul's life is on the line again. Once again, they're seeking to kill him. So when the brothers uh, learned of this, they sent him, they, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus, okay? So Caesarea is a port city. It's about 70 miles north of Jerusalem. So a little bit of a hike. Be- big, beautiful city. It was, it was um, the hub of a lot of commerce and trade, and they likely put him on a boat and sent him to Tarsus. If you're familiar with scripture, Paul or Saul is referred to as Saul of Tarsus. Right? This is where he's from. This is his hometown. Makes sense that it's like, okay, nobody likes you. Everyone wants to kill you. Let's just, why don't you just go home, <laughs> right? That's probably the safest spot for you. We're going to send you home the church likely didn't want to have another martyr in the bigger picture in God's sovereignty. Once again, he had revealed the plot to kill him, and so Saul was able to escape. Why? Because God wasn't done with him. God was like, he's still got a purpose. He's going to bring my name before the children of Israel, before the Gentiles, and before kings, and he does all of those things as you, as you track through his life and ministry. So Tar- Tarsus was his home. That was a safe place. We don't hear anything else from about Saul for another couple chapters. Like, so like, meanwhile, Saul goes off to Tarsus. Meanwhile, there's this, this activity happening we're gonna see in the next few weeks. God is preparing the apostles' hearts for the gospel to go out into the Gentile world. And eventually, Saul would come back and they would lay hands on him and send him out into the Gentile world. Now, go back over to Galatians chapter two. How long was Saul off in Tarsus? Look at the beginning of chapter two of Galatians. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. Okay, so just to kind of, this is a big flyby. The first three years of his life, he's, he's in Damascus in Arabia. He goes to Jerusalem. He escapes the threat of his life, goes to Jerusalem. He's there for an unknown period of time. After a while, his life's on the line again, and they send him off to Tarsus. And in Paul's words, he's, he's there for 14 years before Barnabas comes back and gets him. So, at least 17 years, with some in-between time, before he steps into the greater calling that God has on his life. Because you can't fulfill the calling of God on your life without perseverance. That's what we see here in this text. Now, number three is, is this. <clears throat> As we build perseverance, number three is outlast the adversity. Outlast the adversity. Just grit comes right down to it. We all have a calling. This is not just, not just Saul that has a calling, but everyone who names the name of Christ. You've got a purpose. You've got a calling. 
God's got something specific for you. And on that journey, on that road, you will run into difficulty and hardship. And that's why we need perseverance. But I understand, <laughs> I understand how that feels. When I look back at my journey, I can, I can tell you, like I said, there was, there was times where I was on my face just like, there's no way, I can't, I can't go on. I just forget it. I'm just gonna go do something else. And so discouraged and so like hopeless and, and God sent the right people at the right times to be like, nope, God's not done yet. Just keep going. Maybe today you, you're here and you're like, I, I'm so upset about what has happened and I'm angry and I'm resentful and I'm, I'm bitter about my past and who did what to me and I, I'm so mad. And, and here, listen, that's gonna, that's gonna destroy you spiritually. That's gonna exhaust you. Let go of that. Let go of that outlast the adversity, let go of all of that and say, God, I, I. So we see this in, in Saul's life. He just keeps going. He's up in Tarsus and around the region just preaching the gospel, just doing what he's, he's called to do. Meanwhile, there's all these things going on in Jerusalem. And just like he did, we can keep persevering, keep enduring, keep outlasting the adversity. Now, I want to point out a pattern in scripture that we see really very, very clearly. This is encouraging though, because you might be wondering like God, when and how and why? Anybody feel like, man, I'm waiting for God to be good on his promises. Like I'm still in that in-between time, right? God takes his time and does things on his timetable in his way. When God promised Abraham that he would have a son and that his descendants would be as numerous as the the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea. He was 75 years old. But it wasn't until he was 100 years old that that promise came to pass. There was 25 years before that promise came to pass. Think about Moses. He knew that he was gonna be God's chosen vessel to deliver the children of Israel. And he's on the backside of the desert for 40 years before that ever happens. David. David was anointed king at the age of 16, and didn't take the throne until he was 31, 15 years. Joseph, at the age of 17, received dreams from the Lord of his calling and his destiny, and it, was, it wasn't until he was the age of 30 that those dreams came to pass. See, God doesn't have a problem taking his time because it's, it's about the preparation for that calling. That in-between time, that, that 17 years, that however long you might find yourself in between, like where you feel like God has for you to go and you're not quite there yet, there's great purpose in that time. He's at work in it. He's preparing you. He's refining you. He's getting you ready for that call. Look at the pattern here. He's doing the same thing with Saul. He told Saul from day one, hey, Saul, you're gonna take my name before, before the children of Israel, before kings, before the Gentiles, right? So far, it's been just kind of the children of Israel. But you see over time, God's faithfulness outlast the adversity. Outlast it. Just keep going. Trust that God's got you and he's authoring your faith and your story. You cannot fulfill God's calling on your life without perseverance. Now look here at verse 31. Uh, Luke kind of sums it up and this is actually why Luke is writing this passage. It wasn't to give a detailed account. Of, of Saul and his life. Saul did that more in Galatians. But look what he says here in verse 31. 
So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now we could preach a whole message series just on verse 31 right there, but we're out of time today. Let me just kind of give you a couple little nuggets from that verse because it's so important. The church is, is experiencing peace because it's persevered through adversity, experiencing peace and growth. And it mentions two things. It mentions the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The fear of the Lord is not to be afraid of God. If we're afraid of God, we're kind of like Adam and Eve or the children of Israel at the base of the mountain. They wanted to just run away. They wanted to hide. When you're afraid of God, you, you flee. When you fear God, you draw close. To fear God is an awe and an obedience and it's a reverence and an honor. Fear of, the fear of God produces perseverance. And it's the antidote to the fear of man. The fear of God. We have to live in the fear and the awe, the reverence of God. Now look at the other, the other part of that. The comfort of the Holy Spirit. That feels a little better, right? The fear of God is to reverence his holiness. The comfort of the Holy Spirit is his grace and his goodness. and his, uh, he, As the great comforter, he walks with us and he's patient with us in our sin and he loves us and he just keeps, he's called alongside the Holy Spirit. And those two things in the life of a believer hold a tension that produces spiritual growth. The fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We continue to grow in both of those. So we count on God if we want perseverance. We count on God to provide. We engage the conversation and we outlast the adversity. I want to ask you a question as we approach this, this time of worship and reflection. I want to ask you this question. Who, who is on the other side of your perseverance? Just think about that. If Saul had given up and grown weary and, and got discouraged, I doubt I mean, God would have accomplished his plan, but God used Saul to reach the Gentile world. I think that's probably all of us in the room today. I'm thankful that Saul persevered through hardship out of obedience to God. He just kept going. Who is on the other side of your perseverance? You can't fulfill God's calling in your life without it. Now, the good news is this, perseverance is, is not something that we just pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and try harder, do better. No, perseverance actually comes when we're on our face in a place of weakness, saying, God, I, am, I can't do this. I'm weak. But in that place of humility and weakness, his strength is made perfect. So today as we worship, I want to I encourage us to call out in our weakness and ask God, God, would you give me perseverance? Would you give me endurance to, to keep going and to fulfill the call you have on my life? We find strength in the one who did it all. His name is Jesus. Let's pray and let's worship him together. Lord Jesus, we come humbly before you. Today, just reading the, a bit of the story of, of Saul's life, he was your chosen instrument to bring the gospel before the children of Israel, before kings, before the Gentiles. And, and just like he was your chosen instrument, Lord, everyone in this room that is, that is saved and, and in your family is your chosen instrument to bring the name of Jesus into the world that we live in. And I pray that we would persevere in that. 
we would count on you to provide. We would engage the conversation and just outlast the adversity, knowing that you're working through all of it. Lord, would you send us on mission each day to bring the name of Jesus into the world in which we live. We ask you for strength and for perseverance. We look to you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.